0: I'm Joseph.
1: And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mm-hmm. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm well. Oh, good. Um, this is a special
0: podcast episode because we're going to have a guest later, but we'll introduce them when the time comes. Uh, so this one will probably be a long one. It's a video so people can see the kitty right now. She's attacking you. Mm-hmm. I wanted to say uh, people comment on the episodes directly on Spotify. So I do see those comments. Um, So thank you. I love comments. People are always very sweet. Um, Well, at least for Spotify. (laughs) And then there were some comments about, so apparently there are people who only listen to the podcast. They haven't seen the videos. Oh. uh, Because there were comments about like, we should have merchandise so we do have merchandise there's a link in the description of this episode that will take you to the shop um i wanted to follow up on last week's conversation about scamanda because the biggest thing i wanted to talk about i forgot to talk about which is this idea that and for people who don't know scamanda is that podcast series about amanda riley who was convicted of wire fraud for faking cancer and getting people to donate to her but one of the things many of the let's call them victims had to say is that they felt like they couldn't ask her to prove if she had cancer and time and time again I would think like um yes you can ask like
1: I I'm curious what you think but
2: uh
1: well yeah of course The, the, the that's what has allowed con artists to flourish since the days of old is we uh, feel like we have to take certain people at least on face value and not question them. And to me, that's a very like white European thing.
0: I absolutely think that if you want something from me, if you want to borrow, like, if you're telling me you need $500 because you're like a crack in your radiator. And if I feel moved to help you and I Am questioning if this is true, then I feel like I do have every right to say like, okay, well, I'll meet you at the mechanic and I'll pay the mechanic, period. Oh, you need money for your security deposit for your new department? Okay, or apartment. Um, I'll go down to the property management office and I'll give the deposit. I think I have every right to ask like, oh, you want 1300 for your medication? Okay, well, let's go down to the pharmacy and I'll throw my card at it. Like, I don't think it's unreasonable to want proof of (laughs) because everyone has a i'm very cynical and skeptical of most people so i don't ever have an issue wanting proof i also very rarely do anything like people tell you their sob stories and it's like okay (laughs) i'm not going to pay your car payment but okay but that's all i wanted to say is i i do think people have a right to feel comfortable in what they're doing and that goes i mean i've said this many times before but it just extends across every topic like you know in the 90s i you know being like a sexually active adult and it was very common for people to be very concerned about hiv right so then it would be like well you need to show me your most recent yeah, proof that you're HIV negative. We're talking the 90s when there wasn't the same awareness and before PrEP and all that.
1: I think and it's then, still fair to do that now, though, with other, s. just because there's PrEP, like, do you have anything else?
0: No, I agree. But I think it transitioned, right? Because then in the 2000s, when we were more aware of HIV and, and, and less sort of like unreasonably afraid, then people would be more like, well, show me that you were tested for other things. And and then with PrEP, it just became a free-for-all where it's almost like if you ask someone about their sexual health, they're offended. And my thought is, as the individual, you have every right to do whatever you need to do to feel comfortable. You can ask whatever questions, ask for whatever. Whatever you need to feel comfortable, then you should be
1: allowed that. That doesn't mean I have to provide it to you, but you should be allowed to ask. Well, especially when it comes to something like sex, though, is don't you want the other people to be comfortable or concerned, concerned, like, I don't know. but, you know, part of, I know the thrill for some people is like anonymous shit. So, you know, that obviously doesn't factor into, but, you know, then we, we're getting again to a time where strains are going to mutate of things and become uh, resistant to antibiotics. We already have super gonorrhea, like something else is going to happen based on the practices that at least I know firsthand of that people get up to on a regular basis. Yeah.
0: Well, hard transition, uh, since people like hearing us talk about restaurants. So last week we went to the premiere of the movie, The Passenger,
1: Mm -hmm. which was being held at a video store. Directed by Carter Smith, not Antonioni. Yeah. Uh, the, the video store is called vidiots Yeah. It's in Eagle Rock, but they have their new Eagle Rock location. I think they still have the flagship in Santa Monica. Oh, well, the Eagle Rock location is very nice. Is the mm-hmm. Santa Monica location bigger? You know, I've never been. I was always when I was, you know, I don't really rent physical movies anymore, but um Cinephile is still around and I would go to Cinephile rather than Videots. Well, the eagle rock location is um pretty nice that
0: they have um like full concessions a bar uh, like a almost 300 seat theater i believe and then a full like video rental section but uh we arrived early so we could have dinner beforehand and we went to a restaurant called senior fish which is on eagle rock boulevard that's a chain i think is it i believe it is what yeah. did you think about senior fish
1: I thought the, okay, the service was, was terrible. And Joe, I had to stop you from leaving, but it's not, we didn't have, (laughs) uh, we were next in line. I'm like, can you you just give it a minute? They, To be fair to this poor child working that had no personality or people skills, they were making him do the job of at least three people. Uh, So, you know, I, I'm also wanting to take into consideration as you observe your surroundings, like what's, what's going on. I can make certain concessions for that kid was doing a lot. Uh, What day of the week was it? That was a Monday.
0: It was a Monday and it was around five o'clock, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they had that situation where there's like a walk up counter and you order, get, you're given a number. You've, find your own seat, and the food is brought to you. But the person taking the orders was also preparing plates and delivering food. So after every order, he would sort of shut down the window and then do all of these other things. So we stood in line for way longer than we needed to just to order the food. And then, of course, the it seemed like they were short staffed, so they aren't bussing tables, so it's not very tidy in there.
1: The interior design was strange; it looked like it had been a church dance hall, or it is an interesting setup. A yeah, small congregation. Mm-hmm. You ordered a scallop torta. Did you I, like your torta? I did like my tortas. I mean, the, the disappointment I invariably have with ordering seafood now is, I need be a little more it needs to the meat, the meat the meat the meat um the the scallops that i did get were good i mean okay maybe, maybe i'm just a pig i wanted like 10 more but whatever
0: well, i ordered the the uh, carne asada fries which were mm-hmm. mediocre um well the fries were kind of soggy like they weren't fried long enough and there was very little meat the, the the carne asada there was was tasty And then the salsa they put on it just tasted like they poured tapatillo on top. And there, you know, some places have a little bit more in it, like beans, and this one didn't. But we each ordered a drink. You ordered a mochilada, and I ordered a watermelon margarita. And this is the highlight of the visit is that I know what tamarind is, but I guess I'd never had tamarind candy. So in both of our beverages, there was a straw that was like covered in tamarind candy, and I really liked it. It made sense for my watermelon margarita. It did not make sense for your michelada. You no, it didn't taste good with that. No,
1: but I did enjoy that. Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess, uh, would I go back to Senior Fish?
1: Mm, no. <laughs> well, i go back to Vidyot's, yes. Actually, we just there. That's why we had such a late live yesterday. I had a, a meeting at Vidyot's. That's right.
0: Well, moving on to films released, we didn't cover something
1: called Brother. Oh yes, I was kind of surprised. You uh, maybe I'm not surprised that you weren't interested in this, but it's looked at uh, debut from Clement Virgo about a pair of brothers in the hip hop scene in Toronto. Um, I'd still, I'm interested in watching this, but oh, there's something called the Collective with Tyrese. Ugh. Oh yeah, so this is this is one of those directors. Tom DeNucci, who I guess is going to be one of those who's pooping out a bunch of stuff because he already had a release this year starring Megan Fox called Johnny and Clyde, which we did not see. But Tyrese is joined by Don Johnson and Ruby Rose. Yeah, I mean, I like Ruby Rose, but yeah, that's a no. Okay, A Compassionate Spy. A uh, documentary from Steve James. It's about the Manhattan Project scientist Ted Hall, who shared secrets with the Russians. Mm. corner office you know you said you would watch this and I have a screener and then we didn't end up having time but uh, it's a comedy like a dystopic corporate comedy starring John Hamm uh, directed by Joachim Back uh, which I don't think has been well reviewed but well Mm -hmm. it's horribly reviewed
0: so when it was time to watch it I thought we have so much we're so busy and I just didn't have the energy to watch another shitty movie (laughs) next Dreamin'
1: Wild I saw this at Venice, the Venice Film Festival last year. Uh, it stars Casey Affleck and Walton Goggins. It's directed by Bill Polad, who directed Love and Mercy several years ago. And it's about Donnie and Joe Emerson, who I was ignorant of before walking into this theater. But they were brothers whose father, like, they lived out, I forget where they're from, but out in the, this rural area, and he built them a studio. And Casey plays the younger brother that I think is a little more talented, but they apparently cut this album in 1979. They released called Dream and Wild. It wasn't a hit, but it had a very unique mix of sounds like electro R and B and uh, rock. And it was, this, and I think they did some solo stuff, but they kind, they kind of went nowhere. And then in 2008, this album, Dreamin' Wild, was kind of rediscovered, I think, by a radio DJ. And then it just took off. Everybody wanted to know what this sound was, who these people were. And then these brothers, now as full-ass adults, are confronted with, should we try to make this career that was our dream that we let die? Next, Klondike. Uh, this film sounded interesting to me, too, from uh, Marina El Gorbach uh, from Ukraine. It's about a plane crash in the Donbass region in 2014 and how that kind of leads this community that's been trying to avoid uh, the conflict <clears throat> between Russia and Ukraine, of course, around the annexation of Crimea, I think, that year. Uh, that I, it sounds really interesting. Oh, Our Body um this was in my top 10 favorite from berlin of this year it's uh claire simon uh filmmaker documentarian and it's it's about 3 hours but she's uh showcasing all of these uh women both cis and trans and all of the various kind of medical issues women face through this one particular hospital uh th- that I thought was just very moving and kind of impassioned and uh very compelling. I mean, the three hours goes by like that, but it mo, you know, and also the director herself uh developed breast cancer while she was making this documentary. So she ends up inserting herself in the film as she goes through chemotherapy. Uh, yeah, I really like I highly recommend that. Shortcomings. Uh Randall Park, I believe it's his directorial debut. He's an actor you've seen in God all kinds of stuff for whatever reason, I always think of uh, him playing the the North Korean president in the interview that Seth Rogen and James Franco movie. Uh, but you've seen him in all kinds of stuff, but he directed a movie. Lastly, what comes around? I still might watch this. Uh, Robert Redford's daughter, uh, Amy directed a movie. Uh, I'm forgetting who's in it. So, oh, Summer Phoenix, I think. Uh, it's a thriller about a, about domestic violence or a, a toxic couple, something like that. But I, I might still watch this.
0: Movies we watched for fun. Well, this was not fun, but we watched the Max series Last Call when a serial killer stalked queer New York. We mm-hmm. talked a little bit about it last week or on a live, I think. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: what did you want to say about this? Uh, I thought it was interesting and also troubling and sad. The saddest thing to me
0: is that it's really nothing new. I mean, this serial killer whose name um, I don't want to say because I can't remember. (laughs) But um, he, uh, I don't know, it's just the same thing about like, the law enforcement, not being comfortable interacting with a certain demographic, whether it be queer people, trans people, you know, there's that one serial killer who was attacking black female sex workers and it just all went unchecked because, you know, there's no care or concern for these particular communities. So that's what this series is about. And good police work was not done, uh, which I always find funny that they have all these. It, it, it's kind of a gag because the law enforcement agents, even in last call, we see one of or two of them question, like, why do you keep asking me about the gay stuff? And it's like, "What? this is what this entire case is about. But they seem so oblivious to like how ultimately the documentary is gonna show how um, poorly it was handled. But they're all talking about it. Like we did great police work, but that's because they're just thinking about their own little stupid portion. But when you look at the big picture, it's like, the ball was dropped so many times. You people clearly weren't interested or cared for this community. (laughs) But, you know, we do see that at at one point, so for people who don't know, there was a man who was targeting gay men in, like, the New York, New Jersey area. Ultimately, he was convicted of killing two, but uh, there is a, a retired, like, lesbian, I believe, detective who was put on some task force to help find the killer. But ultimately, that didn't pan out. And he just happened to be caught because of some fingerprints that were sent um, years later, after technology had improved, and one of the detectives sort of still had this case on the mind. So, you know, it's, it's just frustrating to watch. And we don't, we do hear from the families of some of the victims, in particular, a woman who didn't know her dad was gay or bisexual when she was a kid, and she found out after her dad was murdered. I thought I, I got emotional listening to her and her talking about um how she really would have liked to have known that man, you know, like his his authentic self. Mm-hmm. Um
1: we okay. want Oh, go ahead. I incorrectly of it last time. Uh the director, uh, I, I I believe I missed, I think I'd insinuated that I thought he was the nephew of the Puerto Rican man that was one of the victims, but uh it's not. Oh, so sorry to this man. Anthony Corona. You Corona. watched uh Never Die Alone? Yeah, uh, which I read the book by Donald Goines, who's kind of the godfather of urban. Uh, literature. I have a couple of his books, including Whore's Son, but uh, he wrote like kind of like a lot of gangland epics, and I think he's influenced a lot of hip hop artists. But I'd never seen the only film version, I think, of an Ernest uh, of a going a Donald Goins novel was Ernest Dickerson's um, 2004 film starring DMX. And I actually Thought it was quite good. I was a little distracted at DMX at first. I'm like, oh, it feels like stunt casting. I don't know how good he is. But he actually fits that role of this pimp who gets murdered and uh, who gets shot down. He gets released from prison. He gets shot down in the street because the man that he owes money to is kind of, he wants his money and is also not going to let him get away. He's going to get revenge. There's a white man that sees him get gunned down and it's David Arquette. And he helps him. And brings this guy to the hospital in return for that kindness. The DMX, this pimp, leaves him everything, including all this like stolen money he has in the car, uh, and his car, and a set of tapes, which are basically a diary relating to his relating his experiences in exchange for being giving a proper burial. So David Arquette becomes invested. DMX dies, but everything's a flashback that we're seeing. David Arquette's dating Aisha Taylor in it or Tyler. Uh, oh. It was directed by Ernest Dickerson, who I think this is the last film he directed. He's been in television since then. But Dickerson, you know, his seminal uh, debut was Juice, starring Tupac, which is an excellent movie. And, of course, he was a screenwriter for Spike Lee. I, I believe he wrote Do the Right Thing, among several other things. But I, I actually thought this was a pretty damn good adaptation of that book. Oh. Uh, rhyme and Reason? Oh, this was a document, a hip-hop documentary from 1997 um, directed by Peter Spirer. Spirer uh, that was kind of a summation of where hip-hop has come by at that period. But it's just interesting. I had watched it right after a screener of the four episodes of Ladies First uh, about the first women in hip-hop that's about to come out, I think, next week on Netflix. And it's funny getting this kind of, fantastic recuperation of all these women and then watching rhyme and reason the handful like Roxanne Shanté, uh Chirac that they're mentioned in this little montage and a few other women get like sound bites but they don't even mention them by name collapsed in this this documentary which focuses much more on like Method Man and Mm Ice-T you watched Buddy well, Paul Rubens Re- Paul died, as uh, we know this week. So I watched a couple things I hadn't seen for a long time or never had seen. And I never saw this film. Uh, it's from 1997. It's directed by Carolyn Thompson, who's the screenwriter of Edward Scissorhands. So, you know, Rubens and Burton were close. Uh, it's about a 1920s social, like a, the, this heiress who's obsessed with animals. She has a veritable zoo in her backyard and she is into, not unlike Diane Fossey, saving little primates at at these zoos that are not treated well. And she somehow comes upon a sick baby gorilla. And heretofore, uh, before this gorilla, no baby gorilla survived without their actual biological mother. It just seemed like humans couldn't figure out how to sustain them without that, that nurturing that they needed. But she somehow nurtures this gorilla uh, I think there's somewhere are they in LA and she lets this thing grow up to like it's full size. And until and, and they realize that this is not no longer feasible because the gorilla is very much. Protect, she's the mother figure, but she's also harmful to the mother figure because she lets her pick Renee Russo up and throw her around. And when, when the gorilla gets angry, of course, that's a problem and it takes an army to kind of get her back to where she needs to be. Um, How does it look? It like the production of The Gorilla. I thought overall The Gorilla looked pretty good because it's obviously not a real one. Um, and Paul Rubin's play is only in one scene in that and he's I guess a primatologist or something that treats Renee Russo like she's crazy for considering rearing a baby gorilla uh, and he ends up being right. Alan Cumming is in it as her assistant. It's interesting. I don't know that I thought it was a good film though. You watch P, uh, Big Top Pee Wee. Yes, the sequel, the 1988 sequel to Tim Burton's debut, uh, which I I seriously don't think I've watched since I was little, little, little. And uh, Penelope Ann Miller is his girlfriend that he doesn't really like, you know, that theme. And, uh, you know, I love Susan Tyrell, who plays Midge Montana, who's like a a woman that's about this big in a relationship with Chris Christopherson. Valeria Golino gets uh, an introducing credit as the seductress in the circus that also falls in love with peewee uh i i want to say that's the same year as rain man though because you know she's the female lead in rain man but anyway uh i think it's not i already think well i'll save my thoughts for the original but it feels even more loosey-goosey oh okay you watched dunstan checks in <laughs> and um Randall Kleiser directed Big Top Pee Wee, who did Grease, of course. And It's My Party, which I know you've seen. Uh, Yeah, Dunstan checks in. Uh, I wish you had stayed up to watch this with me because I've been wanting to rewatch it since forever. And Ken Quapis directed it, um, who also did Sister of the Traveling Pants, which I don't like, and Vibes, a really interesting Cyndi Lauper, Jeff Goldblum film from the late 80s. That's worth where she's... He has... He's not an alien, but he has kinetic abilities, psychokinetic... Anyway, telekinetic... Anyway, uh, where was I going? Oh, Dunson checks in. Jason Alexander is a single dad who runs this magnificent hotel in New York, and Faye Dunaway is his boss, and they're about to possibly get a six-star rating, Um, and so they know that somebody undercover there is observing them, so Faye Dunaway makes him put off his like vacation that he's been trying to take with these little kids that are kind of badasses around the hotel. While that's all going on, Rupert Everett, who gives a really good smarmy performance as the villain,
2: okay. shows up
1: with Dunstan, an orangutan. In oh. And he uses Dunstan to uh, infiltrate people's rooms and steal their shit. So he's a con artist. And the orangutan, who he kind of abuses, uh, ends up befriending the younger boy and shenanigans ensue. There's some dumb montages for sure, like the orangutan wandering around and people mistaking him for a masseuse and things like that. Oh, God. There there are parts that just don't make any damn sense, but (laughs) I don't think Faye Dunaway ever had a sense of humor, but this is the closest we're gonna get to it. Uh Basket case two. Um, I'm a fan of Frank Henenlotter, as are you. I know you love Brain Damage, even though you always say you don't remember it. Probably because you have brain damage. And uh um And uh, Frank and Hooker, which I think we did a a podcast on, and any anyway, the first basket case, which I think is great. And I'd never seen two or three, so I put on two the other night, and I don't think it's very good. Oh. Uh, but it's it's entertaining because. It picks up exactly where the first one ended where we think this brother and his disembodied head twin are dead, but it turns out they're not. And there's this woman that's a doctor that collects for lack of a better word, uh, freaks that she brings back to her home and puts in the attic to have like a weird little kind of Adams family thing going on. She goes to collect him. but it seems oh, like every- yes, yes, I remember. It seems like everybody that's there just has like some kind of weird head syndrome.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but some very elaborate looking and impressive uh set pieces, to be sure. I think if you're a fan, and now I need to see basket case three, because I never have. You watched Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. I, I must be. I don't know if it was Paul Rubens or maybe this has been rumbling in, in the deep here, but I, I guess I've been curious about revisiting moments or films from my childhood. And I don't know if that's to reawaken the 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 trauma, the traumatic memories I also remember from around these periods. But um, yeah, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, I haven't seen since I was a kid. Um, Bill Croyer directed it. It has a fantastic Tim Curry as Hexis. Uh, which I was, I was kind of n- knowing about who Tim Curry was. Later, I've totally forgot. Grace brisky does the point of the old grandma fairy, uh, and Christian Slater is Pip. I had a good time, but it it's a, it's only like seventy odd, some odd minutes, and it it clips on real quick through that narrative. Hmm. in my mind as a child, I think this was like oh this epic. This epic eco uh friendly movie and it's <laughs> very brief the human surge um because locarno is going on right now and i'm supposed to be covering some of those things but uh the human surge three by eduardo williams is part of the competition i believe so, and i've never seen his debut uh 2016 the human surge but there are only two I, i'm not quite sure yet why the new one is called three uh, except for maybe the structure of the original is focusing on three different teenagers from around the world, I think Buenos Aires, Mozambique and somewhere in the Philippines and it's kind of just the documentary we're watching these people live their lives and drifting and then weird odd things come up like the Argentinian kids and, and that's how they're connected is through online uh, but they're they're basically doing sex acts for money online. This group of boys, and that's how they see this other boy that we then later focus on. Um, it's very slow, uh, a slow film at an hour and forty minutes. I think feels longer than it is, but it, I think it's worth a watch. La- or no, there are more Hollywood ending. <laughs> yes, I'm about to see a new Woody Allen movie at the Venice Film Festival, and I've only seen this once. I remember renting it on VHS in 2002. Uh, it's You'd think with the plot that it should be at the height of something like Bullets Over Broadway, and it just isn't. It just feels pretty lazy for the most part, but there are some funny bits. I wish Woody had learned earlier that if you are going to be the center focus and you are gonna have these relationships with all these women, could at least one of them be about your age? At least one. Like, cause Taylor, it's about a, a, a director who's kind of hasn't had a hit in 10 years and his ex-wife, Taylor Oni, who is now with this uh, billionaire producer played by Treat Williams, gets this script and she's like, oh, you know who would be good at this is my ex. It's a New York story, blah, blah, blah. They hire him and he goes blind as production starts like he has hysterical blindness. (laughs) And so he can't afford to not do the film. So he has to go through all these shenanigans to get the movie made. Uh, Tiffany Abertheason is in it, who plays a starlet that claims to be in love with him. Um, I'm forgetting who else that... There's another young person that... Anyway, it was just... Okay. But it's... It's weird though. Things it actually ends up being kind of prescient in his filmography because the movie comes out and it's not a hit, but he gets an invite from France. The French love him, and he's like, "Oh, thank, thank God for inventing the French," which is kind of what's happened. Pools <laughs> fire. After we watched, what do we watch? Return to Oz. I that jolted another memory of this Julie Tamor. It's about an hour long production. She did of an Edgar Allan Poe short story called hop, hop frog about this young, this man that suffers from dwarfism. I referenced it in the live yesterday, but I, I I was trying to figure out how I saw this because I remember it terrified me as a child and it's because it aired on PBS. So my mom must have, you know, it's on PBS here, watch this shit kid. And, uh, it's about this, you you literally see this dwarf in his family and it looks like they're he's being stolen or abducted. He has to flee from his home. And the next thing we know, he's the Joker in this uh, court that are all made of these uh, terrifying looking larger puppets. And he seems to accept his fate as a Joker until another, a, a woman who's also a dwarf is, demeaned in the court like she's slapped by the king and so then he plots to put on a show which the king and his court will all be engaged in he's gonna dress them in a costume but he makes them flammable and then he burns them all to death that's what as an (laughs) eight-year-old finally lastly black belt jones oh yeah so Jim Kelly, who is very dreamy, uh, who I just watched three the hard way and I really liked. I'd never seen his probably his bigger film as a star is Black Belt Joan, where he's playing the same character that he played in, uh, in Enter the Dragon, the Bruce Lee film uh, directed by Robert Klaus. So Klaus returns to direct Jim Kelly in this film. Uh, and it's one of those complicated black exploitation kung fu uh, narrative plot lines where you know I love Scatman Crothers, who everybody probably knows from The Shining, and that's it. But he had a very healthy career in black exploitation films as well. He's in Friday Foster. Anyway, he plays this guy that owns a—I think it's God—I'm already forgetting the name—called the Blackie, the Blackbird. He owns this gym, and it's part of this area that the mob has owns everything else, and then wants. They want to get rid of that gym so they can develop the land and make some multi-million dollar blah blah blah. But Scatman won't uh, refuses to sell. So this is the plot of many black exploitation films. This other arm of the mob, this black this black guy named Pinky, that Scatman ends up getting murdered. But they still can't take the building because he left. He willed it to his daughter, who's played by Gloria Hendry who we just saw recently in Savage Sisters. So she shows up at his funeral, has a lot of like sexual tension with Jim Kelly. There's, you saw the scene in the preview where he tells her to, you just sit here and wait for me. Why don't you go do those dishes? And she takes a gun and shoots the dishes and she goes, they're done. Yes. It had, there are are some really good moments of that kind of energy in the film, but it really is a lot of um, kung fu fighting. Uh, a lot of martial arts showing off ho- how skilled J- Jim Kelly is, which I do enjoy well enough. But even at 86 minutes, it did feel a little long. Unfortunately, there are entries
0: in the obituary section. First is Mark
1: Margolis. Mm-hmm. Did you recognize him? No. Really? You don't recognize his picture? No. Do you don't remember Ace Ventura? I don't remember him. Oh, he's the one that in the beginning of the film where he's like, yes, Satan, he's got that gravelly voice. Mm, No. Oh, well, he's a very, he's a notable character actor that's been around for a very long time. I mean, it doesn't help that neither of us watched Breaking Bad, but that was, um, that was a bigger uh, venture for him. But he, he kept it going until the end. He was in a lot of stuff. Okay. Well, yeah, he died uh, at the age of 33. Oh, that's what I wanted. Aronofsky used him a lot. He's in his debut, Pie. He's in Requiem for a Dream. He's in Black Swan. Um, yeah, he'll, he will be missed. And then, of course, Paul Rubens died.
0: Most people know him as being Pee Wee Herman. Mm-hmm. So we are going to transition to something we recorded a little earlier today with our friend, Jack Fervor. They are a writer, choreographer, performer, and teacher. Jack uh, wanted to join the live we did for Return to Oz, and I couldn't figure out how to make that happen. (laughs) So (laughs) we invited them on to talk about Paul Rubens, as well as Return to Oz, but as you'll hear, the conversation goes in many directions, which I find fun, so uh, please enjoy that. And after, we will talk about our secret film. So let's take a break. Okay. Hello, Jack. Hello, Joseph. Hello, Nicholas. Hello. (laughs) So we're so excited to have you on because we want to talk about a couple of things. Of course, we know Paul Rubens passed away on July 30th, which was last Monday. And then we had a live review of Return to Oz yesterday. And I know you have thoughts on that. So we just want to have one big happy conversation about the two.
3: Well, first, let me say that I adore you both. I really wish I was there in person. Yes. Um, I'm I'm absolutely, while it is, uh, you know, post noon here on the East Coast, I'm still serving bedhead and uh, I rushed out to get an iced coffee and, uh, and, and ran back. But I'm just, I'm really pretending that we all just woke up together and are having um, some tea. It looks like Nicholas is having, Joseph, are you a coffee drinker? I am, but I've had my coffee already. Um we're out of coffee. That's why I've resorted to tea. I'm so sorry. So Joseph got the last cup. Well, no, I went out and got coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and yeah. did bring one back. Look, I'll say look, look, we don't need to do that. We don't no. need to we don't need to as as someone who had a was on a very long podcast i i i will uh i'll, I'll not be an instigator but <laughs> um thank you for having me on about someone who changed my life and i feel really changed a lot of uh queer kids lives i think until when i especially when i think about um I'm, I'm still, I I still this week have had just moments of crying about the death of Paul in a way that is, um, uh, I think so specific to also that time as a child of feeling, so I grew up in a rural setting in Wisconsin and, uh, there was certainly no... I think my, my first queer content, if one could even call... Well, it is. I mean, Dynasty had its first openly uh, gay character in Steven, but I mean, I always related to Alexis. And um, uh, my mother would wake me up to watch that with her. So I think having this show come out, um, that was such a... And, and the movie come out, that was such a shock to uh, kids like myself who didn't feel, I certainly didn't see anything that I felt was reflective of the wildness that I felt or the otherness that I felt as a queer kid because all of my identification would be with like Barbie, um, which Tragically, we've had no rep in that uh current film. Uh, I mean, Hari Neff is in it, thankfully. But in terms of like when I think of the 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 little queer assigned male at birth boys who played with Barbie, I you know that there were so many of us, or I think of Trixie Mattel who's talked about that and the the influence of that in uh in her life, his life. And um, for me, it was really Shira, and, uh, I identified, I think I identified more with Gem and the Holograms than I did with Barbie, just there was more drama, I really loved Misfits, um, but, and there was Synergy, but in terms of there being this, uh, male who, presence, who behaved really wildly and who had a lot of, um, Oh, the I mean the pool guy on the show. Remember the hot pool guy yes. in the, the high shorts, and that whole thing was so wild. The Christmas special with Katie Lang. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I remember. I think that was one of my first sexual confusions was watching Katie Lang and feeling very attracted to Katie Lang and confused.
0: <laughs> that. Well, um. So to be clear, Pee-wee's Playhouse ran from 1986 to 1990. Our secret film today is Pee-wee's Big Adventure, what, which was
2: 1985.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, we, I know, Jack, you and I watched Pee-wee's Playhouse in real time. Nick, did you watch Pee-wee's Playhouse as reruns?
1: Or uh, We did watch it as rerun, reruns. And uh, we used to do Pee-wee imitations in the house. And so I would have been about six. So that was before I was questioning anything. Um but I I remember clearly when he was arrested and how that changed. And but yeah, it would be it would be like Pee-wee and Steve Urkel uh, impression. All in. In well, I feel
0: I feel similar uh lead to Jack in that watching Pee-wee's Playhouse and seeing this character that sort of had um an aesthetic that was off-center and the diversity in the cast. I mean, seeing Lawrence yeah. Fishburne as John B. Even, like, I have very distinct memories of Penny. And, like, <laughs> for some reason, like, this little girl made of pennies, um, I I thought was so cool because it wasn't what I was used to seeing. So I think just these visuals uh, alone were so important in making me feel like there was a space that was sufficiently or, or comfortably weird mm-hmm. Um that felt okay to me. And I remember some kids and maybe even like my dad making comments about Pee-wee in a, like a derogatory way. But in my little gay mind, I thought, oh no, Pee-wee seems normal to be, I mean. <laughs> and that's, it, it's interesting that,
3: and, and where the derogatory comments around his, um I'm curious what the derogatory comments dad, that,
0: my, my, I think they were. My, my, they were so dad, in the collected. Yeah. So my dad is a a, a known homophobe, but uh, yeah, lots of like he, you know, he liked to throw around the word queer and just like why, like he's wearing make, like he's obviously wearing makeup, like that's weird. And I remember I not knowing what drag was, but I thought like, oh, he's just doing a character, like. What's the big deal? And I think I had an awareness, even at that younger age, that this is just a character. This is not how this person lives in real life. So what is the big deal? What is the big deal? I don't, I didn't understand what subversion was, but, you know, I, I think I was in tune with the the concept. And so to me, it felt very much like this is just a thing. It. I mean, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I just remember being a kid thinking, "God, my dad is just so critical of anything that isn't hypermasculine, anything that's off-center." And I think that's why I loved Pee-wee <laughs> because my dad didn't like Pee-wee. <laughs> it's really, you know, it's
3: <sighs> Yeah, I think it's I, and I was quickly I was quickly looking up to make sure that I was right cuz Lawrence Fishburne plays Cowboy Curtis. I mean, that's it's it's the thing that Lawrence Lawrence Fishburne plays, and Lawrence Fishburne already had this filmic career. I mean, it's it was also this thing of seeing people enter in. And it is also Paul Rubens's uh thing of coming from Los Angeles. I mean, went to CalArts. There's amazing photos that have surfaced of Paul and Drag at CalArts. Um uh and there is a way in which, and something that I've been reflecting on in terms of the, the culture that I think we're in, that I find, um, mm, there's a part of the culture that I feel really depressed by, which is I feel that we're being served a lot of children's theater, that like it's really, I think that in the, the polarization of the times that we're in, is really allowing kind of for just one thing to be given to people which is children's theater or war movies basically or something to do with war some some sort of something like that and um and peewee's playhouse peewee's big adventure big top peewee um peewee's holiday which comes out i i can't remember if peewee's big holiday comes it comes out i think shortly after the election Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it came out after the election. I think it was this place that we like took solace in post the election because I also feel I remember watching like the Christmas special as well to kind of <clears throat> feel like I we can stay weird. We can be here for the kids. Like, how do we show up for them? Um, is that it was very subversive children's theater because the first thing of Pee-wee's that I saw was the stand-up. Pee-wee did this really, this stand-up where like, which was very for adults. And then it would get it would get helped along by the network and Tim Burton into, really by Tim Burton and then into the network, into being a show that, that could be for kids, but maintained a lot of subversive content. But in that standup, there is a whole thing that has audience participation where he has this uh, marionette that's a, um, a hypnotist. And you think that this woman from the audience has is just from the audience because she's an incredible actress, but it's also because he was working with the groundlings, this great improv group out, out there. And she comes up and she takes off her dress down to a slip. He gets her to take off her dress. And it's really um, and I remember seeing it as a kid. I mean, I was well, I was also growing up watching Dynasty and the Grifters, and I mean a lot of things as a kid. I had a Clearly, a, a mother that helped my <laughs> helped me with my sense of humor and mm-hmm. making work that's about rearranging reality, as I said at her memorial. Um, so uh, I think that that what what Paul gave kids in, in terms of a sense of wildness and play and subversion, as well as tapping into our id and a sense that we are um smarter than uh the Mesia. It's funny how I remember stopping liking Pee-wee's playhouse. Like I remember being this like real cutoff for me. Really? Which I think was sort of, yeah, I think was more sort of like my entrance into middle school when my bullying became heightened and yeah. um and me fully latching on to another great Tim Burton creation which is Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman yeah. and really defining my entire existence through that role like just being like I'm um
0: no like the ship we should have had you on the Batman live uh or the the Batman returns live
3: <laughs> yeah I mean I I will and we'll and we'll talk about it in a moment because I have the you you talked about a film yesterday that I've used and I've also my last big show in New York ended with me as in this kind of role as me as her in Batman Returns um, but because to me that was the is another great queer icon which is the shift of bullied nerd into um, sexual revenge uh, hostile takedown including yourself. I
0: didn't <laughs> want to make a a hard transition and it's because i feel passionately or like, like i have strong thoughts about this which is uh Wee Her- paul Rubin's 1991 arrest yes a decent exposure yes people who don't remember he was arrested uh for masturbating in an adult movie theater um and it turned into a pr nightmare and reruns of Wee's playhouse were removed um right. from stations and his career really took a tumble Mm -hmm. Um, and at the time I can remember, and I want to know what everyone else remembers, but adults speaking very negatively about what happened. And of course being a, you know, a 13 year old, I, I think I just, from my in from my in my little world it felt like people attached like perversion and homosexuality to paul rubens already right. as Wee herman and then this incident fortified that so i think it's at that point i became sort of like afraid of liking Wee herman i don't know maybe that was the point where i kind of like stopped I mean, at that age range, I guess I also would have been like, yeah, Pee Wee's Playhouse is not for me. But I want to hear what everyone thinks about the like public response to his arrest, and then how that might play out today.
1: Um I remember I remember when it happened, I was young, like six, because my uncle who lived next door used to bring over treats and he would imitate zombie. And he'd make us say, mechalekahai, I Mechahami. He'd go through this whole rigmarole. And he was already a little sus uh, as an uncle. But uh, after that, uh, my I remember my parents, and he would still do that, would kind of cast aspersions on what he per- perhaps really wanted. Like it it opened up this, it was this became this whole slippery slope of somebody that still likes Pee Wee Herman and, and why they would still be attracted to somebody that's done something so, you know, uh, perverted. Yeah. I, I mean,
3: I remember uh, that. I remember the, the whole media's scandal about it, the, the outrage about it, but I remember him, I think because I, as well was old enough to have seen some news thing where he said, you know, say whatever you want about me, but I'm not a pedophile. And he said, you know, you can, say that I'm, I don't remember what the full quote is, but it's, it was also this thing of really feeling, um, this, well, all of that tension that was building around, I think a lot of, uh, wildness that was looking to get, Shut down. I mean, this is also this is happening in the AIDS crisis. This is happening at a time when the U.S. government is is fully enacting a genocide, and and is in it. We're in this extreme conservatism that, at the same time, is looking. I'm. You feel that there's these adults who are looking to keep making. Queer spaces in in whatever way. And for me, I continually think of Tim Burton in that because I think like another, like an earlier queer icon for me would be like Lydia Dietz, like someone who doesn't, like my whole world is a dark room. Like I just, this whole, this sense of I don't fit in. I, you know. um, And so I remember, I remember it happening. And I remember thinking, even at that age, I was, because I think I said, well, who was in the movie theater? And it was like adults. And I was like, I don't understand. So what's the big deal? Was this a movie theater where people do that? I mean, because I already was so questioning of everyone's motives because I grew up with people who were very violent and nothing happened to them. So it made me very suspect of, um, and it's an interesting thing, I think, to even think about in our current in, in what we still live in, which is, kids can walk in to see a Saw movie, but, you know, if there's nudity, that's a whole other thing. You know, I think of, our, we're founded on Puritanism, and this country is founded on bloodshed, uh, erasure of uh, its uh, First Nations people and, and then and then we move into Puritanism, which in the witch trials, the first thing that would be looked for for a witch would be if the woman was attractive. So the whole fear of um the whole fear of sex and that I think by that age, I was like, well, what was if it was all adults and that was, and it was like a movie theater, what was the movie?
0: I think because wasn't it a porn? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so actually it's it's really interesting to me that because we're the same age, Jack and I, and that you were mature enough to question that. I think for me, I thought, oh my gosh, like he was in a movie theater and he just pulled his penis out. But uh, so then that makes me, because I said I would talk about it, that when I was in college, uh, I worked at an adult superstore (laughs) and it was huge. It was multi-level. It had a huge theater and arcade and the only thing i wanted to say about that really was that what's so frustrating to me now but even back then when i worked in this place and i would recall what happened because we we also know someone else who got some notoriety for doing something very similar so even and that happened um around the same time so as me working in the adult bookstore so I remember thinking, I don't know if people understand what these places are like, because everyone is doing that there. It is understood that that's what's happening to the point where as an employee of the store, we weren't required to clean the theater. We had an external like company that basically came in in hazmat suits to clean. Hosed it down. To literally disinfect all the surfaces because there were body fluids everywhere so Uh i think there's this interesting thing that happens from my perspective is that a lot of people judge things they don't understand and they Mm -hmm. place their own morality and you know people project and it's like well there are spaces where adults can go and engage in certain behaviors and whether or not it's legal everyone in that space understands what's happening and to me when you take that into consideration and the fact that the police target places like this i mean they do like undercover raids just to entrap people which is an entirely different conversation on why we're using these resources to ruin someone's life who's (laughs) doing something so benign but aside from that that's the biggest thing that comes to mind is that i don't understand or i don't think people understand oftentimes the full picture. So, it, so in 1991, hearing adults talk about him and calling him a pervert and a pedophile, like this man being caught masturbating in adult theater has nothing to do with what a pedophile might think or do. But you're putting, no. it, together, but you're putting it together because he's affiliated with a children's television show that was no longer being produced at the time this happened.
1: But the way it was portrayed in the media and the way that you know, like playing telephone, was that Pee Wee Herman was at a theater. Totally. Pulling out yes. Like, so as a, that's how I remember thinking of it as a kid, not a Paul Rubens, but a Pee Wee Herman. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, that's
3: what you thought at that age, right? I mean, and how destructive and how, well, and also again and again, it's this thing of what is, what is the, what is the government? What are, what are these systems of power looking to, um, spotlight to always to deflect whatever nefarious activities they're up to. And I think, and especially when it gets into the kind of how to wrangle into homophobia, uh, which is, we are, is still, which is hot, hot, hot. It is still hot, hot, hot going on. And uh, once again, it's all like the, the way it feels like, what year is it? To quote the end of Twin Peaks season three, but it's, I, you know, where this conservatism and on the death of Paul, and also feeling so uh, grateful that the amount of love that poured out at this man's death, that also he, uh, you know, is, it not it goes through that scandal, and Tim Burton has him at the start of Batman Returns. Remember, right. like he is there That's as right. Paul Rubens.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, he, uh, he. I, I feel. I felt also. Glad, I feel glad that he was also taken care of and protected, and I, I'm so relieved that those TV shows are on that I can rewatch those movies. That it's now watching them as an adult has a whole different context to me. It has so much play. And when I think of just the direct and uh, mediocre, mindless, ill thought out children's theater that is being presented now, um, it goes to show that like, there's a certain way to keep people asleep, to keep them in line. And I think people who are waking people up will always be targeted. I just watched the George Michael documentary. You think of like, as, and again, in 1992, we're going to have Batman Returns, which is a huge, which is a huge moment for me. And at the same time, Erotica comes out, right? So, Madonna. and someone we don't have time to talk about this, but mm-hmm. what happened to Madonna in that, to me is what made the rest of Madonna. There was a Madonna up until that point. Yeah. And then the, crucifying and burning of her down to the ground created this other Madonna, which was one that I think really wanted respect. And to me, that allow, that is for me the, the tragedy with Madonna. Like I am a Madonna stan and I, I, but Erotica is my favorite album. Absolutely. <laughs> I just think it's the, the grittiness of its production you know and i again i'm in middle school for this so this is also when i'm coming into my own sexuality nowhere to do it and watching someone like madonna fearlessly put that out and on the heels of the paul rubens thing, i uh scandal and at the same time while also not paying attention to real monsters. I mean, you think of the police handing a boy back to Jeffrey Dahmer. That's what happened in Milwaukee. They handed him back. Yeah. So it's, it the tragedy of it all is so huge that I, I think the crying that I've had this week about Paul and about Pee Wee is such a deep gratitude for him giving any space Uh, And such needed space to the weirdos and queerdos. I had never thought about how much of my own performance art is built from getting to play and scream and be really loud. He was so loud. And so, and had this kind of insouciant uh, quality to him that was so naughty and and a pleasure. It was like getting to watch, you know, fucking... um, uh, John Waters as a kid you know I felt like I got to get like mini John Waters before I got John Waters
0: I feel like there I could talk to you about so many things Erotica is also my favorite Madonna album but I'm I'm curious we, we were going to talk about this uh just Nick and I together but since you're here just an aside do you think Pee Wee did you read Pee Wee's character as being gay I didn't, I read, I mean, I think the thing that was so,
3: and what was so uncomfortable for me in my own bullying was I, I, I felt such a deep need. And I think this was my disconnection from Peewee was I felt a need really to be asexual. Like I felt a need to be viewed as being attracted to no one and nothing because it seemed so terrifying in terms of what could happen to you. And also if you were queer, And in terms of heterosexuality, what I saw was a lot of abuse was boys being incredibly like just physical with girls in ways that I thought was scary. And those girls were my friends. Um, You know, I, I grew up in like a poorer version of Twin Peaks and it's like that, this, this sort of horror of the bullying and all of that, I was just like, I need to be removed from this whole human container, which is a tragedy, because it's actually saying, no, what I need to be removed from is puritanism and it's like violence and clear predation on children, actually. It's a, when we think about these large, untaxed uh, religious institutions that are targeting and and, uh, sexually harming children anyhow, I could go on and on and on on this rant. I'm so I great. well, but well. um, so I identified with Pee-wee as very sort of asexual in the show, and, and in a way that I think, uh, was sort of, if anything, like curious and exploratory. Who had, so, you know, I the most for me, obviously the the pool guy gave me feels. And, um, (laughs) um, but uh, so did Katie Lang. So I think that it was the projective surface while being a huge personality, Peewe allowed for me to have a lot of projections onto the characters that came in like Miss Yvonne, a very heightened fifties sort of uh, character. um, And obviously Grace Jones it's really uh an unabashedly and at that point to have her on the Christmas special when Grace Jones had been on TV as the most wildly sort of publicly sexual woman in many ways and um God I love her anyhow
0: well, I just view well,
3: so- him as gay
0: well you made me think of so many things first off you talking about during you know those sort of like adolescent teenage years, almost like assuming a role of being asexual as a form of protection made me think that that's what I was doing. I I wouldn't have been able to articulate that, but how I would articulate it is that I didn't want to draw any attention to myself in any way. Right. right. And then you talking about George Michael, watching the Wham documentary, I got the sense that, he said something that, George Michael said something that really spoke to me when, because of course people accused him of like, you know, not saying he's gay, like pretending that he was straight. And he said, I really didn't think about myself in that way. And I thought, oh my gosh, I also, like that does make sense that I didn't want anyone to find me appealing in any way. So then, cause I didn't want attention. So then why would I announce to people, like make declarations about my sexuality or my gender? Like I'm trying to protect myself and, and stay small. So yeah, so many things, come up hearing you talk but then thinking about Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman it's just like that character just feels so brave That
3: so brave
0: like to, to get out there in these like small ass suits and all this foundation and
3: tiny suits in yeah. this and, and it's interesting because now as an adult I I, I think he's so hot like I that Dave the, the David LaChapelle photo that he did with Paul Rubin's post, the whole thing, which is Paul holding the paper. I think it's like the post or something. And it's, and he's standing in like leather boots and a leather coat, maybe shirtless, surrounded by posters of peewee in like this room with a chair that's tipped over that's blue. So it gives reference to cherry. And a peewee doll on the floor, which I owned. I owned that peewee doll that you could pull the string on, and it would say lines.
0: And oh, you know what? I just pulled it up. That is an interesting photo. It
3: is. It is really this thing of like, and and when I and when you think about cancel culture and all of this, and and you and then go through thinking about Paul, and then I'm gonna just say it again: Madonna, and. And people who, I remember watching Madonna's, I think it was 2020, when they're, like, really trying to just drag her through hell. And she is just saying no. And excuse me, AIDS, 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 how dare you? And it's, I just, um you know and again and and a lot of my work is is focused uh and research in in the AIDS crisis and what that did to us by removing all of our parents you know and 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 leaving us with like highly traumatized parents who were left because all of their friends died a, a thing that we can't imagine yeah. that covid is not the same because it's not a targeted attack on a minority body and um uh, that that absolutely had a higher path than the BIPOC population because also what we know about that with big pharma and racism, and the medical field and all of these things. So I think you know this again, throwing trying to cast a spotlight somewhere other than this genocide that's happening that was at that moment killing our parents our queer parents, who would have been our mentors, our, our, when I think of what film could be mm-hmm. if we had those voices, you know, when I go like, oh, wow. It, uh, it's so, I, I when I get frustrated about how many of my favorite films are about straight <laughs> old white men, but I'm like, I'm obsessed with Paul Verhoeven, like, if you gave me like my my list or like oh Zulowski, oh Bergman oh David Lynch, it's I have to remember AIDS and what was removed in that, um, and how that also of course to me always will play back into misogyny because I think for a long time I was like oh it's homophobia but it's it's a, it's more nuanced than that it's femphobia and I think Pee Wee's thing of, of not, of really not delivering a hyper mask setting and also like what is it to see an adult male behave childlike and have a lot of fluidity, play, these certain ideas of like femininity um, and then giving us, giving a child like me exposure to Sandra Bernhardt before oh gosh, yeah. I, you know, listen to excuses for bad behavior. It's really, you know, um, I'm just so grateful to him. I'm I'm so grateful to him. I'm so angry uh, at what he went through. And I think it's something to bring awareness to of like, who are we talking about? How are we talking about them? And what's the story that we're not looking at? You know, because, uh, it's uh, as as my therapist likes to say, the media doesn't like to cover all the good things people do. That's true. I and, think
0: that I think that's the perfect way to end this portion of Paul Rubens. Um, oh
2: well,
1: I I wanted to say that. Oh, what was attracted to me about oh. Paul?
3: <laughs> Sorry. Go let on. let let Nicholas come through. I want to hear
1: Nicholas. But uh, is watching somebody that you know arguably is asexual but also is confident enough to be himself and that is what making is making him so attractive to all these other people yeah. as he was big adventure it's like all these all these people are falling all over him mostly women but in, in i remember my dad kind of questioning like why that would be it's like because he's he's himself he's confident he makes people people feel good about themselves yeah. like the diane salinger moment as the waitress and um the big adventure film. Who he would be Penguin's dad. She's the mom in Batman
3: Returns. She's the pe- she's the mom in Batman's Return, and she I think has a reprise in Big Holiday as the woman on the flying car. Yes, yeah. Who ends with say la vie, live it up." Yeah, while jumping yeah.
1: out of her own plane. Um, and and also I had wanted to bring up earlier. Do you remember Philadelphia, the Jonathan Demi film with yes. Tom Hanks? if you remember the scene where he contracts AIDS is one time uh, he goes to an adult theater. Wow. That's how that's presented. Oh,
0: I don't recall wow. that. That's
3: 1993. Right. Which also makes one kind of, and that's so interesting to like spin forward and think of like that Michael Fassbender's big uh, breakdown fall apart in shame as he gets a blowjob from a guy. Yeah. P- after everything else, that that's the big problem. You're like, okay, honey. I mean, the the, the <laughs> clarity that these people continue to give of really hating queer people, hating them and being deeply, deeply afraid of them because of uh, functioning outside of, I think a lot of things that are just about politics and the marriage structure, which is about joining land and an imperialist um, nightmare, old white thing So it can honestly go fuck itself. And one more thing about Pee Wee is um, that I wanted to say about all of that is when I think of, I remember in Pee Wee's big adventure being so attracted to the ex con, right? Or the convict. He's not an ex con, he's the con on the lamb. And then they dress up, and then Pee Wee dresses up as his wife in Mm -hmm. that disguise. And I remember being like, Breathless, but not sure why, but their wow. whole thing. And I think they kiss and I think Pee-wee has them kiss again. Mm-hmm. And then we go forward into Pee-wee's big holiday where you think of like the the group of um, black hair queens who pull over to the side to like, and that their hair is the United States of America is so incredible to me. Like, I'm just like, honestly what a what a gift what an angel what an icon we're so blessed that this world got to have this angel yes the amount of time we did and who did all this incredible light work while all of these dark nefarious forces tried to drag her down as as happens with saints
0: oh there you go (laughs) okay i need to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about return to oz So, uh yesterday we did a live review for the 1985 film Return to Oz and I and I knew Jack had a lot to say about it but I couldn't figure out the technology to have you join the live. So uh now we get to hear your hot takes on Return to Oz. So the floor is yours. I'm so I'm thank
3: you so much for <laughs> for creating this space for me. <laughs> thank you for how thank you for creating another space for this film for me. This film is so personally important. I think it is, I, I would say uh, films are are I mean, I, I my the majority of my work has been live performance work, but I would I I they've been inspired by films. And the first film I ever saw that I remember thinking, oh, wow, was Return to Oz. I'm am I, I, I'm sorry, let me go back. The first film was Never Ending Story. I remember seeing that and being like, wait, can they see me? And also being like, <laughs> oh, I'm attracted to this kind of boy and this kind of boy. Mm-hmm. I really related to Tammy Stronach's role <laughs> uh, as, and I used, in my first piece I ever made, it started with me screaming, Bastion, why won't you call my name? But <laughs> um, I'm starting as Moonchild. Um, but Return to Oz was a big leap up because I was growing up, as bullied. I grew up in a small town. I had obviously seen Wizard of Oz as a kid. And, um, I, I was, I have to say, I was not blessed. Um, But... Uh, <laughs> I, this film I saw shortly during, well, first I remember I would, there was Nickelodeon. So I remember seeing Farooza Balk do interviews. And I remember getting to see like a behind the scenes thing where it showed her falling and landing on the couch, which after it all falls apart and they land on the Newham Kings mountain and screaming and like falling on a wire down onto a couch I remember thinking I have to be an actor oh, wow. <laughs> that is what you get to do which is screaming freaking out running like it's it's that's what I want to do and and because of bullying um I uh had a lot of, symptoms of a childhood being bullied and being in an abusive situation so I was an early kid put on Prozac and so I was when it was still test being like test run on kids and and like what how is this going to work and I had a psychiatrist who I really didn't trust and the whole thing felt deeply on like I already was like this isn't this isn't me, it's not my problem yet. I'm being viewed as the problem. And so then seeing this film where there's this, and I had, of course, was creating a whole fantasy world to cope with what I was going through. So seeing this film, I thought, this is is what's happening to me. Like she's taken to this clinic with this man who you're, you absolutely do not trust from the moment she walks in. she has this, this spooky AF parental figure played by Carrie's mother, Piper Lori, yep. you know, uh, with this uh, can't-do-anything-other-parental-figure, kind of absent dad. Uh, I can't remember whatever the uncle's name is. It's Anton and Uncle whoever, Henry. Yeah. Um, and uh what it says about absent fathers and figures and um and, and in real time. So the film was so was such a huge impact on me that I am a total, I am a complete devotee of this film. I am I it is like a go-to one that makes like that soothes me again. and this is my read on it now as an adult. Which is that uh, a a young girl who's not the problem um, is viewed as the problem for her interior or perha- or perhaps in this case, true mystical experience and is view is taken to have it removed, which uh, is a, the history of psychoanalysis. Of course, psychoanalysis begins by Freud coming to deal with the physical issues of hysterical women. And um, so she's taken to be removed. I think you talked, I don't remember if you talked about Francis or not yesterday, but the, you know, the, the, the Francis, I mean, France is an incredible film If people haven't seen it with Jessica Lange, but the, what, had already happened to women and also certainly happened to queer people in terms of institutions where they're put through uh shock therapy at best. Um, Tennessee Williams will make a, a, a great point about lobotomies earlier, uh, with suddenly last summer and, and someone who actually does know the truth and is looking to have it cut out of her, um, as, uh, the line is yelled by Katherine Hepburn um this film is about a it's about a child and who's having this dream these dreams and is viewed as what we'll talk about in psychology as the identified um she she becomes the the identified patient, right but it's there's all this other stuff that's an issue. Uncle Henry can't fix the house even after M's been like, that leg is mended, Dorothy. It's mended. You know, when she's like, but his leg, you know, Piper who's spooky, not particularly warm, being like, she's gotta sleep because then she's no help to me.
2: Right.
3: <laughs> you know, this whole thing around <clears throat> this child needs to be working. Yeah. And, right. and the industrial farm complex that of, of America and and what it is
2: <laughs> what well, it is. That is true.
3: So she she goes to this place where this other girl somehow is somehow escaping. They escape in this harrowing night and either she hits her head on something and and goes into her interior world, which is left up to the public to decide by the end of the film, or indeed does go into this mystical adventure. Um, that is for a child, when I saw this film, it was truly terrifying. I was so afraid of the wheelies so afraid of Mommy, and now as an adult feel that i could it's the thing of like the witch who is a woman who wants to claim the young heads or you know whatever we want to talk about in terms of beauty standards and uh it, and and will do whatever in fact betrays her own kind, she betrays these women, she she takes their heads to have them in service of this Trumpian, uh, fascist, uh, hyperbolic, uh, malevolent king, the gnome king, who has turned all of Dorothy's friends into objects, which to me is the goal of capitalism. It is the objectification of people into objects and because I remember posting, I think shortly after after the election, the part where she's spinning around looking for her friends. And, And I was like, yeah, this is just me trying to turn my friends back out of objects. Because part of this whole, the system that we're now so clearly in is the hyper individualization of people so that they stay so focused myopically on themselves that they forget, I mean, we're clearly not in socialism, but that they forget about taking care of others and and are indeed turned into an ornament as the gnome king laughs about uh, a useful, or he calls it something, he's like a pretty, he doesn't say this, but it's something to the effect of a, a pretty useful ornament.
2: <laughs> and it's,
3: and this thing, I also remember being chilled to the bone when he pulls up his skirt and has her shoes on <laughs> and, and that he can shapeshift into literally taking anything uh, that he he's this ultimate colonizer, but also being like, no, no, this was all mine. This all belonged to me yep. and you took it. And she's like, but you have so much. She has that line where she goes, yeah. but you have so much. So I heard what you said yesterday about her. and My take on it is I think she's fearless. I think her ability to like when Mombi goes and I'll put, you, I'll lock you in the tower and one day I'll take your head. She goes, I believe you will not. And she <laughs> starts kicking her in the shin. I'm like, slay. Absolutely, and then she chooses, she she gets up there, she meets someone else who needs help, she helps him. She does the things that Dorothy does, which is to kind of, I mean, it's in a way, it's, it's I think of when Pema Chodron talks about, the American Buddhist nun talks about finding solace in the character of Alice in Alice in Wonderland as someone who falls into a different place and remains kind of curious about it.
0: I like um, your I like your sort of description of her character, and this is in response to me saying that I felt like she wasn't very like <laughs> bright. But really, it was me thinking like self-preservation, like you're stomping through these streets, <laughs> ready to take down everyone. But then the symbolism of that is very powerful, and of course, that's the purpose of this story. So, so I do like that. Um, I felt she was so, as a child, I was like, she's so heroic. And the fact
3: that yeah. TikTok winds down and then he says, I'm sorry. And she goes, It's not your fault. I mean, I have chills. Thinking yeah. About
0: yeah. That. Like, well, that yeah. she's aware enough to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That she's this child who's like, It's not your fault. Like, I, and that she, and she was the child that I was, but she was like, I'd rather sit up. And they're like, Lay down. And then she's yeah. like, Why are you tying me down? Yeah, she's just she's so she knows too much and that's the problem she is the child who and I felt that way I was like I am this child who knows too much who's seen too much who's who in the experience of violence and and growing up without which is the the original of that she's in this poverty and 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 rips through into this other time space continuum, um, creates another world out of her own salvation and becomes a hero in it. Uh, it's sort of, how can she be a hero back in her own life? I, I agree as a child, I was like, why would she go home? Right. You know? And Belinda being clearly like, I'm not gonna go back no. there because <laughs> there's only one end for me back there.
0: But if she is what you're saying, it does make sense she went home because she has more work to do. Yeah, It's the
3: hero's journey. It's yeah. the hero's journey to go. The, the, the
1: yeah. Yeah,
3: to discover it's the Joseph Campbell. I mean, it's this thing of she, she goes on this adventure. She saves everyone. And ultimately the fact that she makes two choices and is wrong and decides that the best, she can't possibly come, figure out how to deal with the evil machinations of this ruler so just decides to close her eyes and spin in a circle which to me i'm like that's meditation
0: that yeah
3: yeah that can I be allowed to drop into i guess i'm just going to go by intuition and chance operations because whatever operation this evil entity is working in i can't i'm I'm not evil, so I can't figure it out.
0: And to be clear, this is a response to be saying that I was frustrated <laughs> that in the ornament, like the game the Gnome King is playing with Dorothy and her friends, is that she needs to sort of guess who um, from her friends have been turned into ornaments. And I was saying that I it was frustrating that after TikTok is uh, turned, it seems like she's not really um, trying to like have a plan as to how she's going to make her next election but it does make sense to me that at a point she's just throwing her hands up like well I-
3: because also when they're turned when they're turned there it's this huge flash of light so she can't see i mean it's she's she go they think they come up with a plan but the knowing yeah. is so evil that there's already this whole other plan for it to simply not happen and and there's but, something also so beautiful to me that the Gnome King's demise will be an egg.
0: Yes, talk about the egg.
3: I mean, I just think it's really this, it's uh, I, I I I don't know. I mean, I I could certainly like get into the, the sort of psychoanalytic object relationship of egg and uh the onborn child and and the, the sort of the idea of like a fertile imagination or all of this sort of thing that it it could represent or we could just say it's this deeply human humble thing that just destroys this crazy entity that operates in this way there's something and you brought up the books and i did want to talk briefly about ozma who is i is in the books turned into a boy and then a witch turns Ozma back into her true form, which is a girl. I mean, she's this as someone who, when and I read these books way later I, as an adult, I read them to be like, what was going on in here? But I mean, my bullying began by people asking, "Are you a boy or a girl?" And I think that was where also my my sense of of, of really only relating to. And also, and as I still do, I, I really relate to the female female protagonists more so in terms of uh what they're up against. I haven't, I haven't, and part of what made me want to make my own work was I wasn't presented with roles that I felt interested with or emblematic of my own experiences of navigating horror, um, or we could say life. <laughs> um that uh, I really, I mean, Ozma's whole, also the whole thing in the movie of that she's trapped behind this mirror. I love the scene where Dorothy puts her hands on the mirror and she, you know, she says, help me step through the glass, Dorothy. I mean, it's really, it was a huge, you did talk about the production problems. It was a huge problem. Um, TikTok is at the uh, George Lucas Ranch. Because George Lucas stepped in to take care of a lot of, it just, it went so over budget. I mean, there's, uh, there is someone who's folded in half inside of TikTok walking around. I mean, the whole, <laughs> the, the reliance, and I, I remember that, does that Instagram account still exist, anti-CGI?
2: Oh, oh I'm not sure. I don't think it. That
3: was one of I when I used to be on when when I was more active. I need to go back and see it. But I mean I think it's also for this film that is pre what we're in now and it's dealing with claymation and stop motion and an actual puppetry Ray Harryhausen it's yeah it's 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 the tactileness of it that is so and, and you did talk about Jean Marsh and her, I mean, her and that and her and Willow. I mean, she's just- So good. So. Incredible. What an amazing villainess.
0: You both read uh, L. Frank Baum's works. Uh, how do you feel about, like, would you be here for a new set or trilogy of Oz movies?
3: I would absolutely, one hundred percent, beg, borrow, steal, to mm-hmm. be involved. If I, if I could play Mombi, yeah. I would <laughs> as like as like a and to really spin Mombi like a oh, oh, maybe away from like just female witch into like non-binary evilness. I would love to, as a, as 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 I don't know. I mean, but this is also how I feel about queer rap, and I I miss just as films like Poison and and Queers. I think we're we're getting to have uh our our kind of well. What if we don't want to? What if what if we're not will embracing it for you? Um, mm. uh, uh, I I think that's sort of I I would. But yes, please, if it happens, please cast me as Mombi. Um and um yeah, or I would love to write it. I mean, I I think that I think the, the the terror and The Wizard of Oz has remained as such an iconic film. Um because of its uh it's stunningly visual, it's it's wonderful, and it also it is a story about. How can friends come together to to deal with um, and what and what does friendship mean? I, I think that and I think that that's what we're still in, you know. And it's and it, in Dorothy's case, it's about misfits. That's the friends of Dorothy line. I mean, the way that that would get used by yeah. old school iconic. Gay
1: culture, like well, you know, that's how the rainbow became a symbol of gay culture was because of the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and then you think
3: of David Lynch, uh, uh, David Lynch's favorite film used throughout. Uh, uh, the... in... What? Well, the part is the Wizard of Oz. Absolutely, in, in the full, coming in the full glint of bubble. I mean, as and and I also think of. Um, in Twin Peaks season three, when as a, uh, as a, uh, I can't remember who David, his character is, but as he says to the, um, David Duchovny, who's now the head of the CEI as a trans woman. And he says, you know what, when they were giving you trouble and I said, change your hearts or die. <laughs>
1: it's
3: really, I, yeah. I think that the, and again, I, I mean, in what we now what we now say or what we use now when we're talking about queerness and, and, and trying to really embrace everyone inside of that who who is inside of the LGBTQIA plus uh, placement of this sense of otherness. These movies, for me, Return to Oz and why, why is my pick over, over, over Wizard of Oz is Um, I think because of the trauma and it is also this thing of we're going to remove this out of you. We're going to remove your fantasy life
1: out of you. Well, they're not only just removing her fantasy, it's her instincts. Like what you just referenced, they're choosing to make her as a little girl doubt herself. They want her to toe the line and, 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 and just become an automaton. And what I think The egg, thinking about it more, symbolizes, of course, like a seed, it's fertilization, it's progress, where this rock, the gnome king is, he's a dead, he's an inert thing that can only amass other things, right? So as something like an egg means something else will die and something else will take over.
3: I love it. I love it. I mean, and then I also will say the score, chef's kiss, the score is so good. It's so beautiful. The part where she, I mean, the part where she looks at the yellow brick road and she goes, what happened? And then she goes, my friends. And the music swells. Still to this day, we will get me full crying, full crying with that music.
0: I was going to say, despite all all of my ridiculousness in the video, the overwhelming feeling I had watching the movie two days ago was that how sad it was that this young girl is being commandeered because her view of life doesn't makes like the people who are around her uncomfortable yeah I mean, they're really going to shock this bitch to death because they don't like i mean it it's so ridiculous that it's horrifying as an adult you know like as a kid i think it was just, just scary but thinking about it two days ago it it's just terrifying like this little girl she. She's just I even joked it with Nick, like, I mean, Nick talks about some things all the time. And it's like, well, you know, so we're gonna get you ECT treatments because uh you talk about it's, suddenly last summer all the time.
3: It's, like it's you know, <laughs> I mean, and the and when I think of the films that I've used, so I used this film in a solo I did called Two Alike, and it was this part where I I talked about um, I grew up on the Wisconsin River and there would there would be someone who would drown in That river almost every summer. I mean, there were these undertows to it, and I would reenact the escape. So I would run out of my house and then run down this hill and like roll down it and like scream and play and play both of the girls and being like, Faster, Dorothy, faster, you know, just (laughs) screaming and screaming. And also, I liked to play. Um, the nurse who would like, when she'd come around the corner with a flashlight and go, so, you know what <laughs> I mean? I just, and then they scream and they run and I would do it over and over and over again. So I used it in this solo I did called Two Like," where I did it for as many times as I possibly could on stage every night. So I would do it until I physically couldn't do it anymore which was what I would do as a child and, and why I wanted to redo that as an adult at this point in my adult life, pushing it through a lens of Viennese actionism. And it's certainly not at the same stakes of brutality, but I would end up like bruised and certainly out of breath. And because I was so curious about my reenacting of that moment, which was a thing around escape. And and then she, her friend who's helped her dies. I mean, they grab this piece of wood They go under, her friend's gone, she comes up in a crate, and all she can think of is like, I'll push myself through, this is the best I can do. I mean, it's really the survivalist quality of that film for me as a child who grew up in abuse was was my first idea as a hero. And I wouldn't, and the next one that would follow would be Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena Kyle Catwoman because I think I so much happened between then and that film where I was really just carrying my books in front of me trying to disappear. Yeah. All the ways that Selena first comes across as being like a corn dog, and then the turn into like you finally get pushed out that window, and you're like. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, her. Line, that's a whole other. When you wait, you've done Batman Returns. Yeah. Well, how, we should circle back because I mean the way that <laughs> I mean the way that Max Shrek is based on Trump and the Penguins based on, uh, Giuliani. It's <laughs> like, it's. I mean, the part where he goes, "You're fired." It's. It's so wild. I mean, and all of her lines about like this robber baron. It's written by the guy who wrote Heather's. Excellent. Yeah. Anyhow, I love Return to Oz. Everyone should watch it if you haven't. My Jeremy was, didn't see it as a child, so when we watched it, was like, I don't love this.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't know, see that.
3: It, it, it might be a mosquito in amber kind of like grab for for certain queers, but that one, or for certain people, but. It really is for me. I think, and the movies that are interestingly are that I've used are that one was the first one. I've used Suddenly Last Summer. Um, and I've used Batman Returns. Um, and then there's, you know, I, but also in the one where I used Suddenly Last Summer, I also used part of Show Girls and part of The Piano Teacher. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> because awesome. It's this thing about trying to get focused
1: it's a different it's a different thing i i don't want to talk about my work in this you now that sounds amazing and if i could do a triple feature of those in a day what a lovely
3: day well the thesis of that show was is my dramaturg like my a therapist and so <laughs> while they were trying to get me to to finish this show in front of this audience i would i would venture over to show girls or I would venture over to, like I I I do the piano teacher part. Anyhow, blah blah blah. Wow, I'm sorry. I, I rant. I rant. I rant. No, I you are such.
0: You time. are such a gift, and yeah. I I would love. I think that we should do another one where you choose a movie and we just rant about your selection. <laughs>
3: because cool. I, mean, I I do feel, and I I did feel this in, uh, you know, I, the, the, the problematics and, and I look, I really, I understand the the industry and in, in America around filmmaking, but I, I, you know, so, so few people saw France and I just introduced it up here. And, and when I think of films that have been coming out around performativity and, um, and 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 even just just recently with barbie with this idea of being a woman and and what gets put on that there's something inside of the uh and when i say and what gets put on that is the smallest thing i could say for the immense historical violence of misogyny that we continue to live in um there's something in france that continues to haunt me uh in such a deep way and Um, I have a lot to say about that film and it, and it also pins back to growing up, uh, with Dahmer, with what, with what the Dahmer, with what Dahmer and what the, the thing of, uh, that did, uh, and, and I think, and I'm really curious how in this country we don't think about it as much anymore. It seems like it's just a lot of Netflix with serial killers. Um, but I could say the same thing around gun violence and and the, the murder of children, of, uh, of humans, of what we show in films in terms of violence but won't show in terms of love. And um, that I really felt a lot in, in Bruno demont's masterpiece that no one saw,
0: France. <laughs> We, what we do for people who are curious. We do have a review for France on our YouTube channel. That's
3: that was my
1: favorite film of the year. I made Joseph watch that, and um, I I it was an, I'm quoted on the Blu-ray cover, which is not I know you
3: are, which I which I I I love. You're the center quote. I so feel so good about. <laughs> I do. I do. I should get that framed, actually. Well, you absolutely should. I absolutely adore you both. I will. I'll pick something else, and we'll um, we'll, we'll we'll offline about what what yes. to pick. We, we, I should go through what have you done and and what could we do. I adore you well, both.
0: We can I- do a repeat. It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah.
3: All
2: right. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the
0: power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's secret film should have been Nick's choice, but because of Paul Rubin's death, we decided to do the 1985 American adventure comedy film Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which is directed by Tim Burton uh so i recall seeing this uh as a kid many many times my sister and i would watch it i didn't realize you and i had watched it back in 2015 15. <laughs> but um it was funny how rewatching it yesterday how some i i just recalled so much of it um what's your relationship with this film
1: um well, I watched Pee Wee's Playhouse as a kid, but I don't think I saw this and Big Top Pee-Wee somewhere as a child, but I don't I don't clearly remember when. So
0: the basic story: uh when eccentric man child Pee-Wee Herman gets his beloved bike stolen in broad daylight, he sets out across the US on the adventure of his life. So the plot is very basic. Pee-wee has this tricked out beach cruiser that gets stolen and he freaks out and ultimately ends up at a psychic and the psychic blows smoke up his ass and tells him that his bike is in the basement of the alamo so Pee Wee ends up at the alamo and finds out there is no basement however he sees on tv after that that there's this young actor who has his bike like he's been given this bike and the bike's going to be featured in like a movie or tv show he's doing so Wee hightails it uh back to hollywood to warner brothers studios and he steals his bike back but he ends up getting caught which we can get into and the head of the of, of warner brothers says we really like your story we want to make a movie about you so the end of this film is we see the movie made about peewee starring james brolin and morgan fairchild <laughs> and then we see peewee has all of the friends he made during his journey they're all at the drive-in watching this film uh so what did you think of this movie
1: I think it's fun. It's a you know nostalgic sort of way. I do think the you know Phil the Pee Wee was created as an adult character along with with the help of the Groundlings. So you have some of them like Phil Hartman that wrote the script, and a lot of it feels very just frivolous and fly by the seat, fly by the seat of your pants. Which it, it's technically a road trip movie. Um, I, I I think that you shouldn't have very high expectations of it but it's it's just a showcase for paul rubens as peewee
0: i enjoy the film uh quite a bit maybe from the nostalgia i just remember so many of the scenes um since this episode is super long i'm just going to go through the notes uh Pee-wee was fast on that beach cruiser. We get a scene where he's like racing some people who are biking. And I thought that was funny. And then he's like doing tricks on the bike, like spinning on the seed and whatever. And he ends up falling in front of a b- bunch of kids. <laughs> I remember thinking that was funny. We see Peewee get out of bed in the morning and he's wearing rabbit slippers and then the rabbit slippers are like sniffing a carrot on the ground. I, I I really like that part of the movie because I think, well, so much of this film, because the film is before Pee-wee's Playhouse. Uh, but I think for anyone who watched Pee-wee's Playhouse, you you see a lot of that in this film. Pee-wee, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure is more adult than Pee-wee's Playhouse. But the silliness is intact. And I think that was...
1: Which Pardon? is not, you know, having just rewatched Big Top Pee Wee, he there's a scene because he has a farm in that one, and he t- takes an apple off a tree where there's a nest of baby birds that are they're obviously like animatronic, and he there's a worm sticking out of the apple. It's a gummy worm, and he bites it out and chews it up and spits it in the bird's mouth.
0: That's <laughs> a weirdo, but that's what I loved about Pee Wee Herman. I of course, we just spent almost an hour, I think, talking about it. Uh, with jack but we see Pee Wee weighing himself and what did my eyes deceive me or does Wee weigh 97 pounds that's
2: immediately what i
0: said
1: about like, he's not even a uh, a buck hunter
0: <laughs> yeah he's not even a it, uh but peewee's very in the film you know he is cute and he's very petite i don't know I, I probably should have googled how tall paul rubens was do we know i mean i guess i can look it up
1: what did you think of how what, what did you think about what Pee Wee Herman looked like like as a kid? And as a kid, I think you're innocent and you're not looking at people that way as in unless they're scary or they've done something to alarm you. Um he seemed like a kid. He he was loud, could be obnoxious and seemed gleeful. It felt like because I, you know, I was six right before the scandal hit. So and about the, that time, I was in kindergarten, and it would be like playing with other kids. It felt—I I don't know—he he felt natural.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I, I don't know that. While I was like, you know, older when I started watching Pee Wee's Playhouse, um, but I think watching him yesterday, he's a cute little guy. He's five ten, so he's very thin because. We, you know he's wearing those young ass suits with them high water pants and we see like you know we can you you can tell that like his torso is like very slim and trim so I mean it certainly adds to this boyish sort of aesthetic which is confounding sometimes it, it's, it's so strange I mean we talked about already how people perceived him I don't you know certainly this man boy look combined with the scandal combined with sort of the perceived uh, purpose of his programming. Cause you know, what we didn't talk about is that originally the character Paul Rubens created, Pee Wee Herman uh, was, you know, it's not a children's character. It's meant to be subversive adult um, humor that sort of morphed into this kid's thing.
1: What we also didn't talk about was uh, the second scandal in 2001
0: we didn't because well we were just talking about so many other things there was i felt like we were just running out of time but yeah i mean he was uh sort of called out like there was an anonymous tip in 2001 that he might be in possession of child pornography ultimately he was not charged uh because his but, reasoning was that he had purchased the like uh like material in bulk and within that material there were images that would be considered inappropriate or tra- like child pornography. But I guess the district attorney's office or whomever found his, because he was saying that he just bought all this stuff and didn't know what
1: was in it. It that 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 took, yeah. took years for that to play out. But I think we need to mention it's, it's much like Michael Jackson was kind of a vulnerable, his reputation was vulnerable because of the 1991 incident. And uh, and how unf- you know he was treated unfairly about that because we're talking about masturbating in public anyway we go into that much later anyway but uh the 2001 thing though that was in response jeffrey jones had been caught you know from howard the duck and the no. uh with child pornography and it, it generated this kind of witch hunt and somebody somewhere thought that oh i bet he has stuff too because no. of because of how he was treated in the media in 1991, and because of the homopho- homophobia, and misogyny in this country, that that left him like he was just a sitting duck there in 2001. Well, 2000. they weren't incorrect. He, 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 he did know? have stuff. It's just that under the
0: circumstances, it made sense that he wasn't aware of it. I I, I guess, but you know, it is a little suspect. Like you know, but. Again, I mean, he wasn't charged, so I can't sit here and be like, he's guilty of, you know, whatever. But moving on, uh, what I think pee is so interesting because he's kind of chaotic, but also really put together. So it's almost like, I think as a kid, feeling safe with characters, sort of we're surrounded by chaos, but in the end, everything works out. So I think it relieves a lot of anxiety so like watching Wee watering his lawn and it's like he has to warn his neighbor because the water is going everywhere except on the grass <laughs> um okay the character of francis Ugh. the minute he popped up on the screen it like it hit me how much i dislike that character who reads as gay and he's like the spoiled rich kid man boy mm. um and immediately he tells Peewee, it's my birthday, and my dad said I can have whatever I want, and I want your bike. And Peewee's like, the hell you do.
2: But that's well, the dad, kind of you live in now. <laughs>
0: and Francis is like, well, my dad says I can have whatever I want because we have money. And Peewee's like, bye-bye. So he goes shopping, and that's when we're introduced to Dottie. Who, I thought Dottie looked like if you mixed Pia Zadora and Shakira.
2: <laughs> Shakira. She She's cute. Yeah,
0: Um, yeah, she's cute. Uh, Elizabeth Daly. She is, like, in love with Pee-wee. And Pee-wee, Helen Keller, he doesn't see her. He doesn't hear her. But she runs the bike shop, and Pee-wee's there to pick up a custom horn, like, for his bike. And he's just ignoring her so hard. But um, when he goes back outside, he sees that the bike that he chained up with, like, 100 feet of chain has been stolen. And ultimately, we learn Francis had it stolen, but Pee-wee goes to confront him, um, which is a funny line because Pee-wee goes to Francis's mansion and bangs on the door, and the butler opens it, and, he, and the butler tells Pee-wee, Francis is having his bath. He's not available. And Pee-wee goes, oh, yeah, where are they hosing him down? <laughs> Pee-wee had a mouth on him. He was... Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wasn't innocent. He was talking shit. Uh, <laughs> he did not seem afraid. <laughs> but even before that, when Pee Wee finds out his bike is stolen, the way he freaks out—when I was a kid, I was so tickled by that. Because <laughs> then he has that community meeting where he's basically going over like the events that led up to his bike being stolen, and he has like two hundred pieces of evidence that he's like, going through. I think that's. Uh, Very good comedy writing, but then he he becomes uh, a shell of a man when he realizes that he probably won't find his bike. So we get a scene where he's walking like in the alley during the rain, looking like Nosferatu, (laughs) (laughs) and then he comes upon the psychic. And Madame Ruby wasn't shit because she's a total fake, Mm -hmm. and she comes up with the Alamo because she's looking at like a sign outside her window. And then she, the same thing, she sees a sign for like a basement. So she's like, oh, it's like the Alamo in the basement. And poor Pee Wee, Pee- we, he goes hitchhiking and he's just out there. Like he, at one point, he falls asleep on the highway. <laughs> I think that's funny. Probably the most interesting part of the movie to me is when he gets picked up by an escaped convict. Do you recall the actor's name? Uh, that, conv- that convict says he was arrested for cutting off tags from a mattress, but clearly he's like a murderer.
1: <laughs> I remember that part as a kid because I remember thinking like, we do that. What do you mean? Oh, cut off the tags <laughs> on the mattress?
0: Yeah. <laughs> as a kid, I really thought it was illegal. Like, you can't cut yeah. these tags off. <laughs> um, But it's interesting because watching it as an adult, I feel like the convict was kind of attracted to Mm Pee-wee. And then there's a point when they uh, are about to come up to, like, a police checkpoint because they're trying to find this escaped uh, convict. And Pee-wee's like, I have an idea. So Pee-wee dresses up as a woman. And we've already talked about this uh, with Jack, but, yeah, I remember um, thinking that was, like, uncomfortable as a kid. Because really, anything that had, like, queer content, I was very uncomfortable watching, especially around like my family, because they would say mean things. But watching it as an adult, it's like, oh. And then after they're successful evading the police, the way the convict is looking at Pee Wee, like he's attracted to him. And then when they part ways, the convict tells him like he really likes him. Mm -hmm. And then we see the convict again at the end at Pee Wee's uh, movie premiere. And it, it also seems like he's into him. So that was very interesting.
1: I think uh, that Judd Oman, who's in David Lynch's Dune.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that actor? But yeah.
0: When he's with uh, the convict, uh, they fly off a cliff because Pee-wee has to drive. And it's like, uh, again, memorable scene, all the curvy roads. But they fly off this cliff to- cliff and they're driving a convertible. So they basically use the convertible top as a parachute, which is so ridiculous, but I think it's so cute. Um I mean the most iconic scene in this movie I think is Large Marge. Oh yeah. So Pee-wee gets picked up by this truck, this woman truck driver Large Marge and she makes like a scary face, like a claymation face and then we find out um that Large Marge is like a ghost. So like a ghost picked him up and I remember as a kid being terrified by that.
1: And then you get a taste of what Tim Burton would later do with special effects in Beetlejuice.
0: Yeah, yeah, actually, because we see a few moments of claymation like that, because there's a moment when Pee-wee dreams of his bike being destroyed by a T-Rex that has a very similar vibe. Um, another really cute scene is when, well, first of all, let's talk about this road trip, because Pee-wee is in L.A. The film was shot like Burbank, Studio City, Pomona, all over. But the area that it looks like he's in most is Glendale, which it also shot in Glendale. But let's just say he's in L.A. He ends up hitchhiking and stops in Cabazon. So like the desert, like Palm Springs. And then from there, he hops on a train because he's being chased by a man who we can talk about. And then he's on the train for what seems like one night. And then in the morning, like the next day, he ends up in El Paso. So that journey seems very interesting that it just happens that he gets... (laughs) The trip is very short but the person chasing him there's a waitress he meets named simone and she takes a liking to him again the whole you know i can see why people sort of question peewee herman or paul rubin's sexuality because of this man child image and then in this movie he is not feeling dotty who's a beautiful lady and then simone is all over him and he's kind of like he treats her more like she's a friend because they have a long conversation And he inspires her to go to France, Mm -hmm. and her boyfriend chases him. That's how he ends up jumping on, like, a moving train.
1: Which, you know, by 1988, he does ignore his girlfriend in that too, Penelope Ann Miller. But Valeria Galeno, the movie takes pains in that one to show them being, like, cuddled up a little more intimately.
0: Well, we talked about this with Jack, but I don't think you got to respond. Did you, like, as a kid and then maybe, you know, as an adult revisiting him? Because, uh, well, what what did you think about, like, Pee Wee Herman's sexuality?
1: Well, he reads as absolutely queer, maybe asexual, but queer in, in some way. He's not uh, uh, a heterosexual male. Yeah, as an adult, I would say I think he's queer. And I wouldn't
0: be surprised if he were asexual. But I don't think he's like a full-blown homosexual.
1: And he definitely doesn't seem like a straight dude. So <laughs> he's queer, I think. He's but that was what was interesting. We didn't have words like non-binary then. So there yeah. was there was no room for any kind of gray zone. You're your mask or femme, your top or bottom. Like, so he represents this really interesting nexus of like for people of a certain generation that you could be these things and still be happy and just go around be bopping around enjoying your life yeah he's doing there's people um, that like strange but he seems fine he's doing what he yeah. wants he wants to ride his damn bike yeah that's all he wants
0: um when peewee gets to the alamo Jan Hooks as the tour guide is so cute. And immediately he's like, I have a question. And she's like, oh no, we hold questions to the end.
1: So poor P, we have to go through the chicken shit tour. She's and, like, she's saying Spanish words. She's like, do we have any Mexican Americans here? And like two ladies raise their hands. Like, yeah. why are these ladies on this tour? This. Way?
0: It was cute. And then at the end he goes, uh, aren't you going to show us the basement? And she goes, there's no basement at the Alamo and everyone starts laughing. And the best part of that scene, first of all, as a kid, I was devastated. The first time I watched it and it's like, there's no basement at the Alamo. Cause my stupid ass probably didn't realize that Madam Ruby was lying to him. Um, the best part of that scene is there's a little kid who's part of the tour. And so with Pee-wee's reaction, when he's like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. There's no basement at the Alamo. There's a little kid who turns and takes a picture of him. That sent me. That is so funny to me. (laughs) Okay. So then, of course, Pee-wee's dejected, and he's like at the bus stop all sad. And guess who pops up at the bus stop? Simone, the waitress from Cabazon. How the hell did simone get from cabazon to el paso and then she's like oh i'm here to get on to to, to the, get on the bus to
1: go take my flight to france <laughs> seems like there are a lot of extra steps to your trip yeah how did you get from uh cabazon to texas right to-, to then get on a plane to go to
0: france it's, but you know it's so silly and stupid i i, I do think the movie has um moments that feel like unnecessary the the biggest one we're going to get to but um Wee ends up at like a biker bar
1: with uh you clocked her i was like that can't be her cassandra peterson cassandra
0: peterson uh yeah she's in the elvira is one of the patrons of the bar who basically i interpreted her actions as like before before the bikers beat up peewee she wanted to be sexual with him yeah exactly. and then
2: yeah.
0: yes and then he devises a plan to distract them and that's where we get the famous tequila dance scene and then they all become friends but then they give peewee they're like oh to go on your journey we'll give you one of our motorcycles so peewee gets on he Jump starts that motorcycle, takes off, and runs right into a sign, <laughs> which I think is super funny. And then he ends up in the hospital. But luckily, at the hospital, that's where he sees a commercial for that young actor, and that actor has his bike. But before we get there, the tequila dance scene, Kiwi's wearing those big ass platform shoes. He gets those platforms from like the bus boy at this biker bar. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> and the gang of bikers who were were going to beat up Pee-wee, their name is uh, Satan's Helpers. <laughs> okay, the scene where Pee-wee ends up at Warner Brothers. He steals his bike, dressed as a nun, and then there's this long chase sequence with him in security.
3: But the, huh?
1: the- from the series is jason hervey from wonder years
0: from wonder years that's right
1: nightmare.
0: But, but he's able to get off the studio a lot like so we think he's all good but then he sees a pet store that is on fire so then we get a pretty lengthy scene with Pee-wee at the pet store saving all the animals and then he faints and that's when he gets caught by the police We didn't need that. I think we could have cut that out and just left Pee-wee getting caught at Warner Brothers because he ends up back at Warner Brothers in front of the studio head. And then the studio head tells him, we like your story, let's make this movie. Um, I think the best part of the movie, like the part that has me laughing so hard is the end because Pee-wee Herman... Is a guest actor in his own movie. So James Brolin's playing Pee-wee P.W., and they play it out like he's like a like a secret agent, and the bike that gets stolen is like this fancy motorcycle, but Pee-wee in the movie is playing uh, like a front desk agent at a hotel. Our bellhop. Oh my God. Our bellhop. It is so funny. Because Pee Wee in the movie can't act, so he has to be dubbed, and he doesn't know where to put his, like, he doesn't know where to look and where to stand. I think that's brilliant. But those are all the notes I have for the movie. I did want to say, and I'm sure you have thoughts, um, I remember the score. And to think that this was, like, Danny Elfman's, like, like when he did this, he's like, I don't know if I can do this. I, I really don't. And then he becomes this prolific uh,
1: uh, yeah and and um i mean danny elfman yeah that who would work with tim burton on everything but then you know tim burton also worked with rubens after i we already talked about this but i don't think we brought up a nightmare before christmas no. which I think is uh some excellent voice work from paul rubens uh but i like the well the part where he's in drag is probably the funniest to me uh, yeah. but I also, I, I also really like the uh, the The ending where it really effectively shows how he's this subversive character. Um, it's it showcasing how Hollywood neuters everything, even by 1985, by giving him initials, like his name is too strange. Uh, he, they, they make Brolin decidedly more heterosexual and masculine, right? Yeah. And then uh, not only that, they, they dub over Pee-wee's weird, tinny voice.
0: Well, yeah i agree because then i mean well that's the problem that you're speaking of is like then why even make this like what about the actual story appeal to you because you totally changed it like this they're just capitalizing on the fact that maybe this what happened to Wee is like in the news or something but yeah you totally neutered it and it's a shell of what it actually is my only other note is Pee-wee's makeup is very interesting (laughs) because it's very heavy. And depending on the lighting, it's very obvious. Like, you know, he's a fair-skinned person with dark hair. So his beard and mustache really come through in the makeup. And I'm assuming they, you know, they don't have good coverage. So he just looks crazy at times. But he is very cute. Like looking at him as an adult, I would have thought, oh, Pee-wee's, Like, Paul Rubens as Pee-wee is cute. Like, he's a cute little guy.
1: But he's basically doing, like, child drag.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's creepy, but that's part of what makes it subversive. Well, I think what makes it really subversive is that this character was not intended to be, like, for children, per se. So the fact that it went through that arc and then his scandal, and then... When you put it all together, it's just a... As we talked about for... I'm afraid to see how long this video is going to be. Uh, so we should probably wrap it up. What would you give Pee-wee's Big it's Adventure? Creepy like,
1: it's creepy like watching Jimbo play Shirley Temple. Yes. Um, yeah. I would give um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure three out of five.
0: I would give Pee-wee's Big Adventure three and a half out of five. I do think it's very good. And it's something I could watch a- again. Um, what do we have? We have a lot going on this
1: coming week um do we don't we i don't know it's not it's not as busy as last week but uh okay. last last voyage of the demeter joe is uh, in Grand i want to
0: love. i i just love the title so much so it's the last voyage of the demeter but we keep saying demeter joe because janet jackson's full name is janet Demeter joe jackson <laughs>
1: She has an album named demeter
0: joe and she has an album named dummy to joe this movie is demeter but um i i'm excited for that um you excited
2: demeter
0: i'm, I'm excited demeter <laughs> uh but yeah let's end this because it'll probably take me all day to edit the video do you have anything else you want to say no oh did you try to do an Alyssa edwards
1: tongue pop And the cat is doing the the monkey bars back here. You just look like you're choking. (laughs) All
0: right, I'll let you go. Ta-ta.